Welcome to 757 Tales Stories from Hampton Roads, Season 1, Episode 12. Today's show is entitled Lafayette or Not and the Saga of La Dupre. This was inspired by a little book called Buried Treasures of the Atlantic Coast by W.C. Jameson, copyright 1998. The summer of 1778 was very hot, with temperatures in mid-June exceeding 100 degrees Fahrenheit, as far north as New York. Mid-August would have been ferociously hot in Virginia, as a party of 13 continental rebels hid in a grove of trees on Virginia's Smith Island. The island, just inside the entrance to Chesapeake Bay, was where the men awaited the arrival of La Dupre, a privately owned French flag frigate. It was with absolute dismay that they watched as a six-ship British flotilla surprised and sank La Dupre just as it hove into sight. The group of men hiding in the trees were supposed to, according to the few accounts found on the internet, have been led by the then 21-year-old Major General Marquis de Lafayette, an ardent supporter of the Continental cause commissioned by the Congress at the recommendation of General George Washington after his observing Lafayette's good character and performance. Lafayette, full name Marie-Joseph Paul-Yves Roche-Gilbert Dumotier, was a French aristocracy and had previously served in the French army. The problem is that in August 1778, Lafayette was in charge of the defense of Providence, Rhode Island, and in command of a continental army in the field there. We have letters supporting this absolute fact from the founders.archive.gov website. Quote, from George Washington to Major General Lafayette, 25 June 1778, Kingston, New Jersey. Sir, you are immediately to proceed with the detachment commanded by General Poor and form a junction as expeditiously as possible with that under the command of General Scott. You are to use the most effectual means for gaining the enemy's left flank and rear and giving them every degree of annoyance, etc., etc., Next, about a month later from the same source, there is a notation of a letter from George Washington to Marquis de Lafayette, White Plains, New York, July 27, 1778, and it introduces Major General Nathaniel Green, who is to cooperate with Lafayette in the campaign in Rhode Island. Next, there is a letter to General George Washington from Major General Lafayette, 28 July, 1778, Lime over Saybrook Ferry, Connecticut. Dear General, I take the opportunity of an express going from General Sullivan to Your Excellency for to let you know how far we are advanced and in which situation is the detachment you have entrusted to my care. I am here with General Glover's brigade, and we have all crossed the river. I hope we shall be at Coventry the 31st of the present. And, he later says, I have sent today to General Sullivan in order of knowing his directions when I'll arrive at Coventry, which is 18 miles from Providence. Nine days later, 6th of August, we have another letter to George Washington from Major General Lafayette, sent from Providence, Rhode Island. Dear General, I have received Your Excellency's favor by General Green, and have been much pleased with the arrival of a gentleman who not only on account of his merit and the justness of his views, but also by his knowledge of the country and his popularity in this state may be very serviceable to the expedition, etc. There were further letters exchanged on 10 and 19 August, followed by this one. To George Washington from Major General Lafayette, 25 to 26 August 1778. From Major General Lafayette, camp before Newport, Rhode Island that is. My dear General, I had expected for answering your first letter that something interesting would have happened that I might communicate to your excellency. Every day was going to terminate our uncertainties. Nay, every day was going to bring the hope of a success which I did promise myself to acquaint you of. 
Such was the reason of my deferring what my duty and inclination did urge me to do much sooner. I am now indebted for two favors of yours, which I beg leave to offer here my thanks for. The first letter reached me in time. We expect to hear again from the French fleet. The second I have just received, my reason for not writing the same day the French fleet went to Boston, was that I did not choose to trouble your friendship with the sentiments of an afflicted injured heart. Injured by that very people I came so far to love and support. Don't be surprised, my dear General, the generosity of your honest mind would be offended at the shocking light I have under my eyes, etc., etc. Therefore, we have to assume the actual leader of the Smith Island Party was an agent of either Washington or Lafayette, but not Lafayette himself as told in the original tale. Smith Island makes sense as a base for this operation because Washington's wife's Martha, son from her first marriage, owned the island, and it stayed in her son Jonathan Park Custis's ownership until October of 1778. So it was an ideal, out-of-the-way, and friendly place to land supplies for the revolution. Custis's lands, some of which he owned outright and others of which he was renting while they were in dower to Martha Washington, derived mostly from the estate of his father, Daniel Park Custis, who died intestate in 1757. The Le at this critical juncture, is figured to have been carrying French bullion and gold coin worth some 50000 U.S. dollars. The money had been raised directly from French businessmen to support the struggling colonies in their fight for freedom after their government declined to support the Americans due to their fear of British punishments. The merchants only agreed to support the funding after they were given assurances of anonymity. They raised the gold along with ammunition and other scarce supplies, loaded them on multiple merchant vessels, which then sailed to the Caribbean sometime before June. There, the vessels surreptitiously transferred their cargo to Dupre, which was owned by a friend of Lafayette. According to my research with the Library of Congress, the Mariner's Museum in Newport News, Virginia, and others, Dupre was likely the vessel La Dupre de Saint-Mar, named after Nicolas Francois Dupre de Saint-Mar, 1695 to 30 November 1774, who was a French economist and statistician famous for introducing the ideas of John Locke to France and inspiring Adam Smith and others in America. Dupre was sailed by a Captain de Casse in circa 1778 records. It was mentioned in some French records as sailing for America in 1777, perhaps thence to the Caribbean for its rendezvous. It may have been in company with another ship, the Le Comte de Benoul, on its journey to America and or via the Caribbean. In the founders.archives.gov documents, there is also a note regarding Dupre to John Adams from J.C. Champagne, 2 May 1778. Sir, I have the honor to congratulate you on the 14th on your safe arrival at Paris, where I hope you enjoy good health. I now am agreeable to promise to put pen to paper to acquaint you the arrival of one of Monsieur's Rimbaud of Bordeaux vessel from Charlestown called the Dupre de Saint-Mar after three and thirty days passage with a cargo of 574 hogsheads of tobacco, rice, staves, and indigo. She is a ship of about 350 to 400 tons. She and six more got out in the night, but none yet arrived. Captain Decas mans this one, thinks they are taken, that is, by the British. He and the passengers delay coming ashore yesterday here to report their vessel was so short that I could not learn of anything extraordinary. Being what offers, I remain very respectfully your very humble servant, etc. 
Letters of two May from John Bonfield to the commissioners, which are found in the Franklin Papers, and of three May from William McCreary to John Adams in the Adams Papers, reported that the ship brought no news, but had carried a number of letters and packets which had been transferred to a French snow at sea to avoid capture. That is, the captain and his passengers made a very short stop at Blay to inform the castle there of the ship's arrival. Blay is on the western coast of France, about two-thirds of the way down the Bay of Biscay. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Histories and Haunts costumed interpreters bring history to life in a way that is both educational and entertaining. Perfect for any special event. Now believe me, piracy is serious and it's dangerous. There might be people out here who are thinking of piracy as a second career or perhaps as a part-time job to bring home a little extra swag, but you're misleading them. They need to know that piracy is addictive. Oh, sure. Being a pirate is all fun and games when you first start off, but once you lose your first hand, well, then you're hooked. (laughs) Uh, I'm feeling like a pirate now. Hi, I'm Al Tuning, owner and creator of Histories and Haunts. Thank you, and I hope you'll remember us when you're planning something special for a school presentation or a community event, or you're looking for a public speaker, or maybe just some good family fun. As you've seen, we have an awful lot to offer. If you have questions about anything on the website, please contact me and I'll respond as quickly as I can. Al can be reached at 757-498-2127 or at historiesandhaunts.com. Next, John Bonfield to the American Commissioners, 2 May of 1778. This is courtesy of the American Philosophical Society. Bordeaux, 2 May 1778. Honored Sirs, I have this instant received a letter from Charlestown by Captain Ducasse, who left that city the 30th of March. He met a few leagues from the coast of France, a French scow bound into this port on board which vessel he put as esteeming it safer all the letters and packets he had in charge. The snow is expected in today. I shall see forwarded, if there are any, the packets for your honors. I don't learn anything further by him than what you have received by Captain Lamar. I understand he has some indigo on board for the public, but apprehend it is for the service of the state of Carolina. As he has no papers, I cannot judge till they come up. Next it says, There will sail from this port in ten or fifteen days four or five sail for the southern states. These two arrivals with tobacco will engage many new adventurers. I am with due respect, your honors, etc., etc., John Bonfield. In July of 1778, then, Le Dupre sailed for Virginia. Though French merchant ships were common in Virginia waters, commanders of British warships had orders to fire upon suspect vessels, as a more than considerable amount of so-called normal smuggling had been increasing since the start of the Revolution, all along the coast, to avoid taxation by both the king's men and the colonial authorities. Cruising to avoid the Bahamas, then a British crown colony, Dupre approached the American coast, probably initially around Cape Hatteras, then north to seek the bay's entrance. Whomever was in charge of the party at Smith Island had carefully planned a surreptitious transfer to shoreboats from the Dupre, probably under cover of darkness. After the transfer, they would carry the precious cargo ashore, ultimately getting it to the Continental Forces. Sometime earlier, the men had rowed from the eastern shore of Virginia to Smith Island to wait in hiding. There were multiple British men-of-war patrolling out the Virginia Capes, but somehow the French ship avoided all of them, or perhaps the British had laid a trap. Sometime in August, a lookout announced the approach of a French ship to the shore party. Just as quickly, six enemy warships were on the scene, closing fast on the Dupre. 
Having been busy anchoring and taking off way, Dupre's sailors were not seeing the British ship's approach. When they did become aware, it was too late. Dupre was at a standstill. She was now a sitting duck having dropped sail and anchored. The skipper called them to battle stations. The British had near total surprise and immediately attacked in full force. Cannonballs rained down on the hapless Frenchmen, and Dupre soon sank at her mooring and was no more. The men on shore were surely downcast and besides themselves. Their efforts had been all for naught. They could only hide and wait until the Brits were out of sight and quickly make their exit. With the fast pace of war, no known attempts were undertaken to salvage Dupre or her valuable cargoes. So far as is known, there are no extant documents in any archive telling of any attempt whatsoever to recover the lost gold. The exact position of the sinking has been lost to time, to shoal movements, the normal gain and loss of Smith Island due to tides, currents, and sea levels, so no one has a precise location of the lost Dupre. No one alive knows whether the ship was lost near the north end of the island, the south end, or in between. Wherever it lies, it is likely in less than 30 feet of water per soundings, under who knows how much sand, in Smith Island Bay, seemingly an at least somewhat easier target for enterprising treasure hunters than some deeper wrecks. Any ship's timbers would have almost completely rotted away at this late date, but the gold is likely still there, perhaps scattered about the bay by tides, currents, and shifting sand. $50,000 worth of gold at 1778 values carries a considerably greater value today. Again, W.C. Jameson, whose work inspired this show, noted that interest in the Dupre and its gold shipment was rekindled in 1991 when a beachcomber discovered a French gold coin with a 1777 mint date on Smith Island following a storm, unquote. Interestingly, on the founders.archive.gov website as well, there is a letter to future President Jefferson from the Board of War regarding the placing of a lookout boat at Smith Island the following year, 1779. It could be speculated it may have been a direct result of the sinking of the Le Dupre and the free reign the British warships had in that event. Quote, to Thomas Jefferson from the Board of War, with reply, 11 to 15 December 1779. War Office, Williamsburg, December 11, 1779. The Board of War recommended that a fast sailing boat be kept as a lookout at Smith Island to give the alarm in Bogothi Bay on the approach of an enemy. From thence an express to be sent across the country to Northampton Courthouse, the boat then to proceed to York with the alarm. The battery at Sheraton to be repaired and the guns there remounted immediately for defense of that inlet, that the brass piece of ordnance be brought over to the western shore, and that the iron four-pounders and two-pounder with two swivels be left with Colonel Corbin, and that two galleys be stationed between the south end of Hog Island and Chincoteague, etc. And the council, December 15, 1779, said the board approves of the preceding measures but recommend to the board of war to reconsider the same so far as respects the number of cannon proposed to be kept there and to say whether it would not be better to remove all which may not be necessary for the defense of the place. Now we'll turn to the discussion of the disputes of ownership of sunken ships between states and the federal government. These were finally resolved by the Abandoned Shipwreck Act of 1987. Under the statute, the U.S. government asserted titled three classes of abandoned shipwrecks located within three nautical miles of the U.S. coastline and in the internal navigable waters of the United States. Upon asserting title of these shipwrecks, the U.S. government transferred its title to the government entity that owns the submerged lands containing the shipwrecks. In Dupre's case, normally the state of Virginia would hold title, but in this instance there is a case of sovereign immunity which Dupre falls under. The U.S. government continues to hold title to sunken U.S. warships and other shipwrecks entitled to sovereign immunity, no matter where the vessels are located, 
Such vessels are not affected by the statute. It's important to note that, according to the statute, although a sunken warship or other vessel entitled to sovereign immunity often appears to have been abandoned by the flag nation, regardless of its location, it remains the property of the nation to which it belonged at the time of sinking, unless that nation has taken formal action to abandon it or transfer title to another party. No such transfer of Le Dupre has occurred that I'm aware of in my limited research. Any cargo aboard a vessel entitled to sovereign immunity also generally remains the property of the flag nation, unless the cargo had earlier been unlawfully captured by that nation. In such a situation, title of the cargo remains in the nation from which it had been captured. So Le Dupre was a government non-commercial service vessel at the time of her sinking. Long story short, she still belongs to France and or the insurer of the voyage. Other examples of vessels entitled to sovereign immunity would include, but not be limited to, U.S. battleships and German U-boats from World War II, Confederate gunboats and Union ironclads from the Civil War, and British frigates and colonial privateers from the Revolution. If you want to explore the location where Le Dupre was lost, Smith Island is now owned and managed by the Nature Conservancy's Virginia Coast Reserve. It is open year-round to the public for low-impact, recreational day use, such as hiking, birdwatching, surf fishing, and photography. That might also include metal detecting, which is not specifically called out in their flyer. Please check with the Nature Conservancy first for info at 757-442-3049. You can see more on the reserve by searching on the term VCR, phonetically that's Victor Charlie Romeo, meaning Virginia Coastal Reserve, Barrier Islands. All areas above the high tide line are closed April through August. Please help protect sensitive habitats and wildlife by observing all visitation policies and seasonal restrictions. During this period of bird season, please remain at the water's edge and below the high tide line at all times. In all areas, and do not traverse upper beaches, dunes, and mudflats, please respecting posted bird nesting areas. The island is most easily accessed via the inlet beach at the south end of the island, aka Smith Island Inlet. Access to other parts of the island requires extensive knowledge of the waterways because of their shallowness and is not recommended for inexperienced visitors. The Cape Charles Lighthouse, located at the southern end of the island, is owned and managed by the U.S. Coast Guard and is not open to the public. So, are you ready to try your hand at solving the mystery of Le Dupre? We'd love to find out who the person in charge of that shore party actually was since it has been pretty well conclusively evidenced that it was not Lafayette himself. If sailor tales to sailor tunes, storm and adventure, heat and cold, if schooners, islands, and maroons, and buccaneers and buried gold, and all the old romance retold exactly in the ancient way, can please as me they pleased of old the wiser youngsters of today. So be it and fall on. If not, if studious youth no longer crave his ancient appetites forgot, Kingston or Ballantyne the brave, or Cooper of the wood and wave. So be it also, and may I and all my pirates share the grave where these and their creations lie. Robert Louis Stevenson Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for yet another episode of 757 Tales, Stories from Hampton Roads.